a Bible this morning, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 13. And we want to come to our conclusion this morning. We've been a lot of months now uh, in the book of Hebrews. We want to look at verses 17 through 25. And as I was preparing for the teaching out of Hebrews chapter 13, the conclusion, I always look with anticipation. Uh, Lord, we've spent this much time in the book of Hebrews, and yet uh, I'm convinced if we went back next week and started Hebrews chapter 1 again, we would be marveled at what we missed because God's always open to speak to us. And so here's the writer of the book of Hebrews. I believe it's Paul the Apostle. He doesn't sign this letter. And that's why there's a lot of discrepancy. Well, we're not sure that Paul wrote. Well, we do know this, that the Holy Spirit gave direction to somebody. And we believe that this somebody is Paul the Apostle. We believe that there's 14 epistles that Paul had a hand on. But he comes to this conclusion. You know, he knew these Hebrew Christians. And I believe Paul could have asked them for a lot of things. He could have said, listen, we're, you know, we just got out of the jail, got out of prison. Timothy's with me. We need provisions. Could you supply some needs? And I'm sure they would have. But I love the simplicity here in this verse that we're going to read now. Pray for us. Pray for us. Such a humble response. Pray for us. I don't want anything else. Pray for us. And this morning, I want you to see that. How important it is for prayer from your heart. Don't rely on my prayers. I will pray. Pastor Jeff will pray. Pastor uh, Jay will pray. Some of the leaders here in the chapel, they'll pray for you. But God wants to hear individually, personally. He wants to hear from you. I want you to think about this, parents. You know, our four girls, they're growing up. They've moved out of the house, but... How I enjoyed when they would come and ask dad. How you enjoy when they come and ask you, dad or mom. And especially when it's the hard times. Mom, dad, I'm going through this. That's our heavenly father. He wants to hear from you. Well, you know, Pastor Bob, I, I don't speak very well. That's okay. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not into the King James prayer. I don't believe God is either. You see, God wants to hear your heart. He wants to hear from you. And that's what I believe Paul was instructing here at the conclusion to the Hebrew Christians. Now, again, think about this, this sect of Hebrew Christians. They're leaving Judaism. It wasn't an easy task. They're coming into this new covenant, this new covenant of grace, love through Jesus Christ. Jesus becomes a complete sacrifice. Jesus becomes a complete high priest. All their reliance now, not on the law, because Jesus said, I come not to destroy the law, but I come to fulfill it. And now they rely upon Christ. And we've been sharing this in the next two to four years after the letter was written. In 70 AD, Titus and the Roman army would come in and destroy Jerusalem and level the temple. There would be no more Judaism. Not as we understand that they would go to temple, the animal sacrifices. They're going to be scattered to the four corners of the world. And, and bottom line, they're going to have prayer. 
And they better hang on to that prayer. And that's good because when we go through our trials, and I don't want you to raise your hands, but that's when God has my attention. It seems that I'm praying more when I'm going through the fire. It seems that I'm praying more when, you know, everything is falling apart around me. And again, that's good. If that's what it takes to bring you back into that relationship of prayer with your God, praise God. And I'll tell you, in all the years of experience, how many times people have come up to me, Pastor Bob, I'm going through this, I'm going through that, but you know what? Exactly what you've taught us through the years, God has brought me to the place of prayer. God has brought me to the place of trusting Him. And church, learn to be a prayer warrior. Become a prayer warrior. Let me give you some background before we get uh, into our study. What a powerful way for the Apostle Paul to conclude the letter uh, to the Hebrew Christians. They're in Jerusalem. And he simply says, as we're going to read verse 18, pray for us. Now, the word prayer is unique. I, I love to go to Nelson's Bible Dictionary and just kind of give him a topic, and then, you know, it opens up and just responds. And I want you to see what Nelson says. This is what prayer is. It's going to stun you. Prayer is communication with God. How much easier can it be, church? I mean, hopefully, husbands, you pray, you, you speak to your wife. Uh, that's what God wants. Speak to me. Wives, I hope you're praying, you know, speaking to your husband. God says, well, like you talk to your husband, talk to me. We talk to our children, talk to me now. Communication with God. Because God is personal. Listen to this now. All people can offer prayers. However, now don't be stunned by this, but listen to it. However, sinners who have not trusted Jesus Christ for their salvation remain alienated from God. So while the non-believer may pray, they do not have the basis for a rewarding fellowship with God. They have not met the conditions laid down in the scriptures for effective prayer. What is Nelson saying? A hard concept. Because we often hear, even in the media, we're going to pray for them. Or you heard this one, we're going to remember them. Oh, I remember them. Remember them what? They can't even say the word prayer. But according to the scriptures, God does not hear your prayers unless you're a believer. Now, you have to remember he obviously heard your prayer when you cried out for salvation. And so God hears the prayers of those that cry out to him. And once we come to saving grace, then he has this relationship with us. And he wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from me. Now, we come here Sunday morning. We have a time of prayer at 8 o'clock. And then as we prepare for uh, the first service, we're in the back room. The guys are praying for me and, and people coming in praying for me. It's a beautiful place. I love it. Come on in and pray for me. And then we come out and Wallace opens up in prayer or Ray opens up in prayer before worship. Pastor Jeff comes up, uh, shares from the bulletin or Ron Gordon comes up, shares from the bulletin, whatever you know, person is going to come up, but then they pray. And then I finally come up. These are called corporate prayers. But each one of us must have that time of prayer. The Bible says, go into your closet and pray. One of my pastor friends, he took it to heart. And he believed he had to be close to God. And he would go on his roof 
and pray. And somebody asked him, what are you doing up there? And he says, I'd like to go up and pray to God. Well, he says, can't you pray? And, you know, he says, yeah, but I feel closer to God. I go, well, great. So when the snows come and the rains come, I hope you're still up on the rooftop. But come to prayer. Come to prayer. Now, Nelson is pretty rough, but it's scriptural. I heard that teaching years ago, and it frustrated me. What do you mean God doesn't hear my prayer? Why should he listen to your prayer if your heart's not right with him? Why should he listen to your prayer if you've not come to saving grace? Your prayers are just going to the ceiling. But if you come before a holy God as a saved person, sanctified, set apart because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, he has no alternative but to hear you. Ah, there's my son. There's my daughter. And he hears our prayers. And this is what Paul is saying. Now, Nelson goes on and says, Christians recognize their dependence upon their creator. They have every reason to express gratitude for God's blessings. But they have far more reason to respond to God with this. They respond to their love of God for them. God's love is revealed through the marvelous incarnation and life of Jesus Christ. In other words, the God-man, His atoning provision at the cross, His resurrection, and as well as His continuing presence, listen to this, through the power of the Holy Spirit. God hears the cry of His children. So you're not a believer, so what am I going to do? You need to come to saving grace. God hears the prayers of a person that has not come to saving grace, or else we wouldn't be saved here this morning. But if you're sitting down and praying to God and you haven't come to that relationship, how can the prayers be effective? Oh, they sound good. They might make you feel good, but you've not touched the presence of God. He is the holy God. And you must come as a cleansed vessel and praise the Lord that he forgives us. I'll tell you what, church, years ago when I finally came to that place of of saving grace and, and the understanding now, he hears my prayers, listen, but he also, you know, he wants to hear my prayers. Not only listening, but he's expecting them. Expectation, when's Bob coming to me? When's Fred coming to me? When's Gloria coming to me? Put your name in there. God wants to hear from you. And see, I use that analogy of my kids. I always wanted my kids, come to me. Tell me. How am I going to know if you don't tell me? We've all told our children that. Well, that's what God wants from us. Come to me. I want to hear. Now, let me give you a little bit of teaching on prayer. Very important here. You're going to take some notes. Jesus prayed to his heavenly father in John chapter 17. It is called the high priestly prayer. If you've never studied John chapter 17, you need to do that. It's a beautiful time of prayer. Now, there is another uh, prayer that we're all accustomed to, and that is in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Now, many Christians, listen, Many in the church, they call this the Our Father. It's often quoted. 
It's often memorized. It's often repeated over and over. This is what I prayed, even myself, as a boy. Those of you that grew up in the Catholic Church remember. After I would come out of the confessional, I was given a penance, and it was generally, you know, five, six, seven, eight, our fathers, three, four, six, seven, eight, Hail Marys. And if I was bad, they usually threw a rosary in there for me. But I had to repeat those prayers. Now, if you come from the same background as I did, man, I got to be pretty good with those prayers. I could spit out the Our Father and the Hail Mary quick. And I learned to do a rosary very quick. I have to say this, church, it was meaningless. I just wanted to get through the formalities. But when you come to saving grace, it's a whole different perspective. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, these are instructions how to pray. It's a model prayer that Jesus left for his church. When you go to Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, it's called the Sermon in the Mount. Jesus is speaking intimately with his disciples. He's giving them various instructions. And when he comes to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and up to verse 15, he's giving instructions how to pray. This is the way you pray. And he begins, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so you begin your prayer. Holy is your name. Our Father who, who is in heaven. Oh, Lord, we worship you. We praise you. We glorify you. And we acknowledge who we're about to pray to. And then you open your heart. Now, trust me, I know a lot of good Christians, well-intended Christians, they will say this, Our Father. But these were instructions how to pray. I believe the Our Father should be John chapter 17. It's called a high priestly prayer by most of your scholars. Now, in this high priestly prayer, Jesus comes, and he's intimate with his own father in this time of prayer. We find Jesus in the Gospels, and there's three times he knows he's going to the cross, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's another beautiful prayer. Three times he says, Father, if there be any other way, take this cup of death away. If not, let not my will be done. Let your will be done. He was seeking to do the will of the Father. We know that Jesus eventually went on the cross. But in John chapter 17, if you have a red letter edition, you look at it so beautiful, it's all red letters. These are the words of Christ. Now, the high priestly prayer is threefold. I'm going to break it down for you real quick. In John chapter 17... Verses 1 through 5, here's the first portion of the prayer. Jesus prays for himself. It's a good example for us. Each one of us have prayer needs. Lord, it's me, it's Bob. Lord, you know me. Lord, you know me better than I know myself. Lord, you created me. I mean, you can go into specifics. Lord, I'm struggling in this area. Lord, I'm struggling in another area. Lord, I need help here. Listen to this. Lord, I'm having trouble with this person. Lord, I'm afraid hatred's starting to come in. Lord, help me. Pray for yourself. Jesus, spend some time, verses 1 through 5, in John chapter 17, prayer for self. Secondly, 
And here's the bigger portion of the prayer. Verses 6 through 19, Jesus prays for his disciples, the intimate group that was following him. We are to pray for those, listen, that we know. I love praying for my, my wife, my children, the ministry, people I know I love, my brother, you know, his children. I mean, intimacy, people we know. Take some time to pray. Now, the last portion of the prayer is even, you know, more meaningful. Well, it just continues. Let's put it that way. So the third portion is verses 20 through 26. Jesus prays for all believers. We are to pray for all believers. Now, that encompasses quite a bit. We're Christian, so we're supposed to pray for other believers. Now, we have missionaries that we support. Gospel for Asia is a ministry we support, we love. We should pray for uh, K.P. Yohanan. We should pray for our other missionaries that we have in our own church. David and Anna that are in Mexico. And then uh, we have Barbara. And we have Fred in Mexico also. Tony and Lois, another group. Uh, they're currently right now uh, in Texas because they're going through some medical problems. But they've been in Mexico too. And so I have this intimacy with them in prayer. And I know they pray for us. How important to pray. Christian leaders. Pastor Chuck needs prayer. My pastor, Pastor Roll, I pray for him. I need your prayers. You pray for us. Pray for me. And so this is the importance of prayer. And so remember that in Matthew 6 are instructions how to pray. Begin with acknowledging your heavenly Father. Then go into your prayer. But here in John chapter 17, Jesus gives us three specifics how to pray and what to pray for. And so here is Paul the Apostle now. He's finishing up his beautiful letter to the Hebrew Christians. And he's saying to them now, uh, let's go to verse 17. It kind of leaves us off from last week. Obey those who have rule over you. Submit to them, for they watch over your souls. He says, for one day they will be given an account for you. And so we came to that conclusion last week. Those that have authority over you, those that govern over you, those that watch over your soul, obviously we're speaking spiritually. Pray for those that are your spiritual leaders. The Bible says submit to them. Now, I don't look for submission to me, but I look for submission to you unto the Scriptures. Obey what the Word of God has to say. That is so important. And so Paul says, pray for me. He comes right in now after saying, you know, those that have rule over you, then he goes into verse 18. Pray for us. The simplicity of the message. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to live honorably. Paul desired to live honorably. Integrity. Paul desired to live in holiness and righteousness. And we cannot do it without prayer. Their first is that relationship with God. 
but then how we need prayer. When people ask, Pastor Bob, what is it, you know, that I can do for you? Pray for us. Pray for us. What is the greatest gift that you can give to any pastor, any teacher, any leader? Pray for them. Tell them you're praying for them. That's a beautiful uh, position to be. Please never assume, now I'm going to give you my insight on verse 18. Please never assume that pastors, church teachers, uh, be it men and women, also church leaders, that they're all prayed up. That they're all prayed up while they're in the ministry. No, we covet your prayers. We need your prayers. I believe this is Paul's farewell uh, to the Hebrew Christians. And what does he tell them? Pray for us. We have this confidence. Look at verse 13. We have this assurance, or verse 18. We have this assurance. The King James says, we have this trust. We have this belief, this faith, that we have a good conscience. I like what the translation says. We have a clear conscience. I have God's peace through this. To live honorably in all things. To live honestly is the translation. In all things that we do, we spoke recently in another teaching, having good Christian morals. You cannot have good Christian morals without prayer. You cannot have good Christian morals without a relationship with your Savior, Jesus Christ. And then prayer just seems to bring you into that avenue. Church, this morning, my heart is aching that you would understand the importance of prayer. You know, we can never pray enough. Paul tells the church at Thessalonica at the conclusion of his letter, pray without ceasing. I'll tell you, when I looked that up, I could not understand it. It's a continuous prayer. I said, how do I do that? And it's a consciousness of prayer. It's a way of life for prayer. I hope you find yourself when you're driving, you come up to a stop and, you know, we look around and here comes, you know, a couple of guys and they got their boom box glowing and blowing. And I mean, it's going through your walls and you got the windows up. And then I'll see them taking a couple of hits on a beer and I, I go, I know where they're coming from. And I used to get angry. I used to get mad. I go, why don't you pick another road to drive? And the Holy Spirit says, why don't you pray for them? Oh, man. And so God calls us to prayer. Pray without ceasing. There's always time. There's always that opportunity to pray for those around you, church. Now, we just read verse 18. Let me read it to you, the Amplified. I love to do that. The Amplified version says, keep praying for us because we are convinced that we have a good, clear conscience that we want to walk uprightly and live a notable life, acting honorably and in complete honesty in all things. I put this in my notes. Paul preached and he lived integrity. Paul preached and he lived integrity. The Bible calls those that are Christian, he calls the church, to righteousness, to holiness, to integrity. Good Christian morals. We spoke of that. And I tell you what, you can't keep that place without prayer. I need prayer. You need prayer. Now, Paul often spoke uh, in other letters 
uh, in prayer. I want you to just write them down. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, brethren, pray for us. He used the same words. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it was with you. In 2 Corinthians 1.11, you also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on your behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Prayer, 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 the essential of prayer. Now write this one down, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Paul says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Prayer, prayer, perseverance. Moms, dads, remember when your kids would come to you? And boy, when they want something, especially when they get into that teen, those teen years, I want, I need, I better get, and they just bug you. I see some of you smiling. You know what I'm talking about. Now, when my kids would come to me, my wife was off to work and I'm getting ready to come to the church. I usually took them to school. And, you know, the kids would say, Dad, can I have a candy bar? It's 8 o'clock in the morning. They didn't say 8 o'clock in the morning. They said, can I have a candy bar? What did Dad say? No. Well, you don't love me. Yeah, I don't love you. Then Dr. Samaniego's not going to like me either. That's our dentist. <laughs> but sometimes God has to say what? No. And so we use discernment. But come to our Heavenly Father in prayer. I loved when the kids came to me. And so do you. Prayer. Now let's go on to verse 19. But I especially urge you to do this. Paul is just urging them. That I may be restored to you the sooner. Paul was looking one day to go back with them. Little did he know that they were going to be, you know, scattered eventually. Just in a couple of short two to four years. Paul is indicating to the Hebrew Christians, pray for me. And I know he says this, pray for me because I'm also praying for you. You see, church, I see prayer as a privilege. I see prayer as an honor to come before the living God as we worship and we praise him, but we also ask him. And that's the portion of prayer. In the Gospels, Jesus tells us about prayer. And he uses these three words. When you come to pray, he says, ask, seek, and knock. Oh, how important. I've been told by some, there's some theology out there. Listen, you need to pray to God once. He knows what you need. You pray to him once. Now, he does know what you need. But the Bible says here in the Greek, to ask, seek, and knock, it's a progressive and it says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Persistence. Persistence. Now, I sometimes make the wrong type of prayer. Lord, I want this. Lord, I need this. And then eventually, even through my prayer, I'll see the arrogance of it. Bob, you're being a little presumptuous there. And we can go overboard. But the Bible says... That God gives you the desires of your heart. If they are in line with his heart. And so I see the, the, the big lotto that's, you know, up to 350 million. Oh, Lord. But is that God's will? 
Is that God's will? Some friends of ours buy a beautiful home, and then you start, well, maybe we, is that God's will? Some friends of ours get a new vehicle. Well, then you start thinking, should I? Is that God's will? Are you seeking God's will? But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you. Pray for me. Oh, Paul always wanted to get back to the churches. Not always was that opportunity available. And so now we come into verse 20. And listen how Paul describes the Lord God that he serves now describes it to the Hebrew Christians. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now you know that he's talking to Hebrew Christians. The law was everything to them. The animal sacrifices, the bleeding of the, uh, of the animals and the blood sprinkled on, on the altar and the horns of the altar, uh, the animal sacrifice uh, that was you know, given up, uh, the sweet-smelling savor. I mean, they knew all that. They were do sacrifices daily, weekly, and then once a year in the Holy of Holies, the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And now all of a sudden, Christ Jesus Christ, their Messiah, is everything. He is the complete sacrifice. They don't need any more. He is their shepherd. Look at verse 20 again. Here's a great example of Paul the Apostle knowing the power of prayer because he knew the author of prayer, Jesus Christ. Paul says, the God of peace. Now listen to Pastor Chuck's commentary here. Paul is the only New Testament writer to use the term the God of peace. The God of peace. The Greek says that he is the God of prosperity, the God of quietness, the God of rest. That's the God of peace. He is also the God that raised Jesus from the dead. And so he describes concerning this shepherd that was raised from the dead. Now, I have studied these three verses throughout the years. These three verses have gotten a hold of me. It's speaking about the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Because who raised Jesus from the dead? Write down these three verses. Number one, in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it tells us that the Father raised His Son from the dead. You say, well, that should have been true. Secondly, in John 10, 17, the Son, Jesus Christ, had his own hand in the resurrection. Now, you ask the question, why? How does that prove out? Because he is God. He is the incarnate God. He is the God-man. And then lastly, here's the completion of the Trinity. In Romans 8, 11, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And so Paul recognized this great shepherd that was risen from the dead. If there be no resurrection, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if there's no resurrection, then we are all men and women most miserable. There had to be a resurrection. The Bible says that Jesus rose again from the dead, and then there was a 40-day post-resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first few verses tell us that over 500 witnessed the risen Christ. Then in the book of Acts chapter 1, he ascends into heaven. And remember the promise? 
Why do you stand there gazing? This same Jesus that's going up into heaven will return in like manner. It speaks about the second coming, the parousia of Christ. Now, Paul gives Jesus, we're still in verse 20, the title of the great shepherd. The great shepherd of the sheep. I want you to study two passages. There's some beautiful homework for you. Now, Paul understood, and so did these Hebrews, the Old Testament. And so study Ezekiel chapter 34. It speaks clearly about this great shepherd of the sheep, which is Christ. And then in the New Testament, the Gospel of John chapter 10. I I love that teaching on our great shepherd. But today is the 13th. And so we often read the verse of the day, the last number three. And so today we read Psalm 23. That's another classic psalm of the great shepherd. Read that on your own. Now, he speaks about not only the great shepherd. Paul gives the reasons Christ is the great shepherd because of his precious blood. That is called the everlasting covenant, the complete promise. He shed his blood and he died for all mankind. That is the everlasting what it means for all mankind. Past, present, and future. Our shepherd slash pastor. Always remember, this everlasting covenant is first of all between God and his son, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane three times. Take this cup of death away. This everlasting covenant between God the Father and God the Son. The Christ now. The Messiah, the anointed one, who died for all mankind and finished the promise by raising Jesus from the dead. And here it is now, to give us the promise of everlasting life. God has given us so much, church. I want you to put your mind as a Hebrew Christian. Judaism was everything. And now Paul's been writing this beautiful epistle, this letter and showing them that Jesus is the complete sacrifice. Jesus is everything that we need. Wasn't easy. Wasn't easy. Now, in verse 21, let me ask this question before I read it. This Jesus who Paul prays to, who Paul serves, who Paul preaches of, also will, look at verse 21, make you complete in every good work to do his will. What does God want from us? To do His will. Working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ to whom the glory forever and ever. Amen. Look at the word complete here. The word complete is better translated. He wants to strengthen you. He will finish you. He will make you perfect. The word complete is basically he'll make you perfect so that you're equipped in everything good that you may carry out his will. I like that. As he works in and through us. Jesus is working in and through us. He works in and through us to accomplish that which is pleasing in his sight. The Bible says that I should desire to please God. 
Go back to Genesis chapter 5 on your own and study the passages about Enoch. The Bible says that Enoch pleased God. We picked that back up in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. That Enoch pleased God and God took him. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Enoch is a type of the rapture of the church. We should pattern our life after Enoch that he pleased God. I hope and pray that I am trying to please God. I hope you're trying to please God. Yes, we fail. Yes, I sin. Yes, you sin. But I have an advocate. I have a lawyer for my defense. I have a perfect lawyer. His name is Jesus. And he knows what I go through. He knows what you go through. And even sometimes I have a hard time how to pray in a certain situation. Paul tells us, he was speaking to the church at Rome, that even when we groan and moan, and we kind of just don't know what to say, God hears our prayers because God knows what's coming from your heart. I don't know if you've ever been on your knees in a certain situation and you're just going through it and you're just clasping your hands. You're kind of wringing your hands. You don't know, Lord, what am I going to do here? Lord, this is devastating. Lord, I only have so much time on this one. Lord, and you're like, I don't know what to say. But the best I can say, Lord, I want your will. Lord, I want your will. I go through this almost every time when I have to deal with, you know, cancer victims they're part of our church they're beautiful saints and my flesh lord why them why not some of these other heathens that deserve it oh bob you shouldn't say that that's true but i say lord forgive me the bible says listen that it rains on the just and on the unjust if jesus suffered some of us are going to suffer Hmm. Jesus is going to strengthen us. Hmm. He's going to work in and through me to accomplish and to be pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And then I like he says everlasting here, now and through the ages to come. God is not finished with us, church. I want you to turn to this passage. We've read it many times, but it just fits here, especially verse 10. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. And I asked this question before I read it. Why did, did God save us? Because obviously he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But then we come to saving grace. So now what is my purpose? To do his will. To do his will. To do his will. God, I want to do your will. And honestly, if you're honest with yourself, before you came to saving grace, you didn't know it, but you were doing the will of the devil. You were doing the will of the enemy. Like it or not, cut and dry. He had you in your grip, and I, he had me in my, his grip. I mean, that's the way the enemy works. But listen to this simplicity here. I really want to key on verse 10, but I wanted to put it together. In Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any one of us should boast. So we know that we're only saved through Christ. But then look what he bestows upon us. For we are his workmanship. Underline that. 
We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Years back, I studied this word, workmanship. It is the Greek word poema, where we get our English word poem. And I don't know if any one of you have ever written some type of poem, even if it's no good. And it'll never be published. It's your poem. You wrote it. You remember when your kids would write you something? You oh, wow, what was that? But you loved it. You loved it. Why? Because it came from your kid. And so God says that we are his workmanship. We are his poema. Listen to another translation, the word poema. We are his handiwork. We are his fabric. We are his instrument. We are his work, his product. There's my product, Bob. There's my product. Put your name in there. God created you for good works. And church, I'm convinced that he wants to use each and every one of us. But Pastor Bob, I don't know what to do for God. Well, here's a prayer you can make. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Again, this is the Sermon on the Mount. These are instructions to the church. And so Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We are placed here on this earth to worship and to serve him. That should be one of our most cherished prayers. Naturally, I made the prayer, you know, Lord, I'm a sinner. Save me. He'll save you. If your heart's right with him, he will save you. And then secondly, Lord, what is it that I can do for you? When I came to Saving Grace years ago, I struggled with my salvation in this. I was frustrated because I was 32 years old when I got saved. And I thought, man, I wasted a lot of time. And I did. There was a lot of young people in our church. Most of our church was like, you know, everybody was in their 20s, it seemed like. I mean, we had, you know, the adults and such, but I felt kind of left out because I seen all the young people doing things at the church. And yet God was calling me. God was equipping me. God was preparing me. And I, I looked at the scriptures where it says that, you know, before I come to saving grace, that look what the canker worm had stolen. And yet now God wants to use you. Yeah, I tell you what, when I read that <laughs> Moses spent 40 years uh, in Egypt, then he spends 40 years again, the next 40, uh, in uh, the desert. He's there in Midian, and he's taking care of stinky old sheep. At the age of 80, God sends him back to Egypt. I go, hey, I can handle that. Sends him back to Egypt. And he goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. God wants to use each one of us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Look at verse 29. He says, and I appeal to you. He says, I appeal to you, brethren. Bear with the word of exhortation. For I have written to you a few words. I like that last portion. The word that he uses for appeal here, if you have a King James, it's the word beseech. And when you see the word beseech in the Greek, 
It can be translated so beautifully. Paul is saying, I beg you, brothers and sisters, suffer with the word. The word to suffer is better translation. Uh, Bear with the word, endure with the word, hold up uh, with the word of exhortation. Now, we often look at the word exhortation, and, and we look at it as somebody, you know, striking their index finger at you and just saying, you should not be doing that. I'm exhorting you. But exhortation has a beautiful translation. In the Greek, to exhort, it means to encourage. It means to console. I like this one. It means to comfort. And sometimes when I'm reading the scriptures, God is exhorting me, but it's comforting me. It's encouraging me. It's consoling me. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, listen, he comes alongside to comfort me. He is called the comforter, the parakletos. And I'll tell you, through the years, and you can also agree with me because I know some of you what you've gone through, and you will share. It's like the Holy Spirit just, just came and put his warm grip on me and encouraged me. And so this beautiful place now. And now at the bottom of the verse, he says, for I have written to you in a few words. Now, we just are coming to the conclusion of 13 chapters. In the book of Hebrews, I don't know how many verses we've gone through. Go back and count them. It's not a short letter. But to Paul, it was. To Paul, it was. (laughs) Remember when you used to go to church and you weren't saved? Man, you couldn't wait to get out of there. Now, most of you know, I grew up in Catholicism. And so I would go to the Mass on Sunday. Now, we went through parochial school, so I knew all the, uh, all the priests. When I was about 12, 13, 14 years old, we had Father Callahan, and we dubbed him. He would never knew it. We called him Half Hour Callahan because that was his max. He did his masses one half hour, and Father Callahan had to get out quick after mass. He had to have a cigarette. He was a smoker. I know. I was altar boy for him, so I know. And I loved it. When they would say the rotation would come up, you're going to be altar boy for Father Callahan. All right. Half, half hour Callahan, we call them. But now we come to saving grace. Isn't it amazing? You've seen this Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Sunday. Pastor Bob says, let's stand and end with a word of prayer. What happened? Where did that 60 minutes go? But before we were saved, how long is this guy going to talk, man? Can't wait to get out of here. Got some burritos going, man. Come on. I know. I thought the same thing. And so Paul says, I have written you a few words. God is continuing to blossom us as we study the word. Uh, Listen to this. 1 Peter 5, verse 12. Peter says basically the same. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is true grace of God in which you stand. Peter wrote only five chapters then he writes second peter but still these letters were brief and there i have so much more to share with you even when i've taught and i go home and i listen and and i go over my study and i still had so much more to share that's how god is so unique and so let's go on to our next text look at verse 20 23 now know that our brother timothy watch this 
has been set free. Obviously, he was in jail or prison with whom I shall see you, you if he comes shortly. So Paul was expecting that Timothy and him would come together. It's believed that this time that Timothy was in prison and now set free. And Paul said, I will bring Timothy with me the next time I visit you. We're not sure that he ever visited again. Because we know that in about a two to four year span, Titus and the Roman army came in. 70 A.D., we know that historically and biblically, and leveled Jerusalem. Now, can you see the importance of this letter? Can you see the importance that Paul had to get this urgency of the message out to the Jerusalem Christians, those that were Hebrew especially? Because not only was Jerusalem going to be leveled, the temple going to be leveled, and all the stones of the temple would be thrown down according to uh, Matthew chapter 24. We shared that Wednesday. But they were going to be scattered to the four corners of the earth. And it was the word of God that was in them. And how important that they would have this avenue, uh, this privilege of prayer. Because when you're hurting, you'll turn to the living God. Now, Timothy was Paul's companion for many years. Paul called Timothy his spiritual son, his son in the spirit. Paul mentions Timothy and times of praying with him, prayer partner. Let me give you a few verses. Write them down. 1 Corinthians 4, 17. Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, the exact same words. 1 Timothy chapter 3, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2, I sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, to encourage you. Timothy was a vital part of the body of Christ. And yet we know that Timothy struggled he wanted out of the ministry, I believe. Because sometimes the ministry can just get a hold of you. In 1 Thessalonians, or excuse me, what we're studying here this morning, Hebrews 13, 23. Now know that our brother Timothy has been set free. Timothy, I believe, was incarcerated. And so Paul is mentioning him. How important. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, one of my commentaries, said this. Aristarchus was in prison with Paul. Timothy, most likely, after, was in prison with Paul after sharing Paul's imprisonment, was set free at the death of Nero. Now, I couldn't find anything historical on that, but I just wanted to give you that tidbit. Now, look at the conclusion, verses 24 and 25. Greet all those who rule over you, and all of the saints, and those from Italy, greet you. Now, the Greek word here uh, for to greet is the word to salute, to embrace, to welcome all that have rule over you. Those that we mentioned already from last week's teaching, those that govern over you, oversee you, have the charge over you, and that includes the civil authorities. And then Paul simply says, also embrace and welcome all the saints. He includes them all. Paul does not mention any of the names as he, as he does, especially in the letter to the Romans. Go to the last chapter of Romans. He mentions so many people. 
But here to the Hebrews, he didn't mention any. Now, I was thinking about this. If he mentioned names and they start to get around, they could easily have become persecuted, persecuted. And so then he says, also those from Italy salute you. The saints are the Christians in Italy, showing that the writer of the epistle was then in, in Italy, somewhere in Rome. But Paul's given this conclusion, this salutation. But I was just kind of moved that he didn't mention specific names. He usually does. And then he ends it with the word grace. Grace, amazing grace. Grace be with you all. And here, for the last 1950 years, we've had this beautiful letter. We've had this encouragement of the book of Hebrews. And I tell you, the first time I taught the book of Hebrews, it was intimidating. It's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, Old Testament material. There's a lot of Old Testament law. But there's such a beauty in knowing that he was bringing us from Judaism to Christianity through Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all. Amen. Let God's amazing grace be with all of you. And remember the word grace, unmerited favor. We deserve judgment, but God dispenses his grace. Now, let me end with some encouraging prayers real quick that we find in Scripture. Take some notes. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, let me set this up. After the death, Cain kills his brother Abel. A new son now is born. We find him, and his name is Seth. But prayer is going to begin right here. In Genesis 4.25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God had appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain had killed. And as for Seth, verse 26, To him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Listen to the bottom of verse 26. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. They began to pray. They began to see the importance of prayer. Well, listen, one of our sons killed another son. What's going on here? And then the Holy Spirit taught them prayer, prayer. How much do we need to pray for our children? My kids are growing up, but I have grandchildren now, and we pray for them. Prayer, so important. How important. The men began to call upon the Lord for prayer. Now, here's some famous prayers. Ladies, you remember this one. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Hannah's prayer of thanksgiving to God. Finally, she is with child. Remember, she was so frustrated. And she prayed and she agonized. But it wasn't until she promised God, you can have my child back. And that was Samuel the prophet. We follow that up in Luke chapter 1. Uh, verse 46 to 56, Mary's prayer of thanksgiving after she was with child. Elizabeth comes to talk to Mary. When Mary and Elizabeth meet, the child within uh, Elizabeth leaps for joy. The Holy Spirit comes upon. That's John the Baptist. And then Elizabeth says, Mary, you are a blessed woman. Jesus was going to come through Mary. Go back and read Mary's prayer. She learned it from Hannah's prayer. In Daniel chapter 6, I love this one, verses 10 through 17. 
a law is set forth and the king has to sign it. He's actually tricked into signing it. And Daniel, immediately when he hears about the law, you are not to pray. Daniel goes to his room. He opens the window to the east. And the Bible says he prays three times. And the guys that wrote up that law were right there. And they went to the king. We saw Daniel praying. Next thing you know, Daniel's in the lion's den. God sustains him. The king loves Daniel. The next morning, he runs, and he says, Daniel, Daniel. And Daniel says, I'm here, king. Don't worry about it. God sustained him. Get him out of there. And the king says, throw those men that brought forth this law. The Bible says those men never hit the ground, church. The lions ate him up. Beautiful. Now, I want you to see this. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 19 through 25. I want you to study it on your own. Saul taken down as king. The people asked Samuel, pray for us that God judge us not. You got to go earlier and find out that Samuel warned him. You get, you, you pick this king and he's going to come and tax you. He's going to take your children. He's going to take your men children, your girl children. He's going to take them all. They're going to be slaves. That's okay. We want a heathen king. And they got him. In verse 23, they asked for prayer. In verse 23, Samuel says, God forbid that I do not pray for you. Samuel said, it's a sin if I don't pray for you. Oh, how important it is that I pray for you. How important it is that you pray for me. Pray for Pastor Jeff. Pray for Pastor Jay. We are not supermen. And I tell you what, we get tempted just like anybody else. And we need your prayers. We covet your prayers. That's what we started with. I wanted to end with this. Mark it down. In 1 Samuel chapter 11, it's called the prayer of Jabez. 2007, there was a book written, The Prayer of Jabez. Now, I'm not taking away from the prayer. It's a good prayer. It's a powerful prayer. It's an excellent prayer. But I venture to say that most Christians just blew by 1 Samuel chapter 11, and they saw Jabez. And they saw his prayer, but no big deal. This guy writes a book. It became a bestseller. And praise God if that's what got you to pray. But here we are coming into 2010. Are these people that bought that book, are, are, I hope and pray, they're still praying. And then, see, my mom got caught up into it. Make sure she doesn't get this CD. Oh, the prayer of Jabez, well, you got to get the book. You got to, oh, mom, mom, just pray. No, 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 get the book. Okay, Mom, I'll get the book. And then she calls me about a couple weeks later, and she goes, now I bought the coin. I go, what coin? Well, the guy got through selling all the books, and then he started peddling this coin, the coin of Jabez, and you pray. And I go, what? I go, Mom, just go to prayer. No, no, I got to get the book. And so here's my mom with the book, and here's the other. And she's going back and forth. You know, come on. I love the prayer of Jabesh. I'm not taking it away. And there are so many other good books out there. The key is pray. The key is, what is prayer? Communication with God. Come and talk to me, the Lord says. Come and talk to me. And don't answer this, when's the last time we talked to God? I'm speaking to myself. When's the last time we talked to God? Intimately. Get down and take some time to pray. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer.
Father, thank you so much, Lord. This simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ can become so powerful, so meaningful, if we listen to the Holy Spirit. And Lord, this morning, an exhortation of love, the word exhortation, we, we were encouraged, we were consoled, we were comforted in this area of prayer. And Lord, I pray that we leave here this morning with this attitude, this conviction that we can come to a holy God because of Jesus Christ. He is our Messiah. We have access to the Holy of Holies. I don't have to wait for the Day of Atonement, the Day of Yom Kippur. I can come now. Lord, teach us to pray as we read the instructions in, in Matthew chapter 6. Father, bless your beautiful people that are here this morning. And Lord, I don't want to leave here without making this opportunity available. Maybe there's somebody here. I don't know. But with every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you're here. You've never received Christ. And you've heard this message this morning. God needs to hear from you. I'm not going to ask you to come up to the front, but right there where you're at, he wants to save you. If you've never come to saving grace, today is the day of your salvation. If you'd like to give your life to Christ, I will pray for you, a simple prayer. If that's you this morning, raise your hand, please. Real quick, and I'll pray for you. Anybody here, don't be embarrassed. If you need Jesus, raise your hand. I see your hand right there in the middle. Anybody else? Praise the Lord then. I see your hand also there in the middle. Two people raised their hand. Anybody else would like to receive Christ this morning? Praise God. Let's pray for these two beautiful people. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we pray. We humbly pray. Lord, this morning we heard the message. This simple message on prayer. But Lord, you're not going to hear our prayers unless we come to saving grace. And I thank you for these two, Lord, that have raised their hand, not to Calvary Chapel or to Pastor Bob, but they raised their hands to you, Lord. And so, Father, I ask you to wash them in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I ask you to cleanse them. I ask you, Lord, to empty them of themselves and to fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lord, give them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, Lord. And, Father, we just want to encourage them, Lord, as they come to the cross. And Lord, now let them seek you in prayer. Lord, what is your, your will for them and their lives, Lord? And so, Father, speak to us. And Lord, the rest of us, we ask for prayer, Lord. We ask that, Lord, as the Bible says, that Jesus sits at the right hand of God in majesty on high, and he prays for us. Lord, we pray for each and every individual here this morning. We pray for their families, Lord. And so, Father, we ask now that you would bless the offerings Lord, as you've given to us, we give back a portion. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.